I know it's hard to picture it, but I was baby Jesus. At the Christmas play at the First Baptist Church in Worcester, New York, in 1966, I was born on December 2nd, and three weeks later I had my first starring role in a Christmas play, and I was a good boy, I was a good Jesus. So I've been through a lot of Christmases, not as many as some of you, I'm just saying, but I've been through a lot of Christmases, and the challenge as a pastor, right, is to, boy, this is going to sound bad, but it's to keep it fresh. And my prayer for you this morning is that this time of year would be something that you don't get used to and that there would be something new that you would learn, something fresh that you would feel or that you would truly learn to love something that you knew already. We begin today a series called Heaven on Earth, and uh, we're going to just take a few weeks here and remind ourselves and maybe learn something new about the incredible event that happened where God himself became man. Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be, and if you're familiar with the New Testament at all, your Bible is split up into, into two big divisions. You have the Old Testament that all happened before the time of Christ, and then you have the New Testament, which all happened after the time of Christ. The first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are commonly called the Gospels because they record the events of the life of Christ from different viewpoints and actually were written to different audiences. Matthew... The first book in the New Testament was written to primarily the Jewish-speaking people. So, like, like Jewish-speaking, the Jewish audience. <laughs> Shut up. You'll get old one day. <laughs> so, the Hebrew-speaking Jews were the primary audience for Matthew. And, and as you begin the book of Matthew, the first 17 verses detail the lineage of Christ. Like they go back and so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. And he traces the lineage of Christ all the way back to King David because King David was predicted that, that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Son of God would come from the line of David. And so I think it was important for Matthew to make that point with the crowd that he was writing to. Now it's interesting, the lineage of Christ is also in the book of Luke, but it looks different than the one that's in the book of Matthew. And there's probably a couple reasons why the the... I think possibly one of the ways to look at it is I think that, that the lineage of Joseph, the stepfather of Christ, was in Matthew, and the lineage of Mary, his mother, was in Luke. That's one way to look at it. There's a couple other reasons why, but that's, that's one thing to consider. So it's possible that both of them are correct, right? It is in the Word of God. So it's probably true that both of them are right, and they just got to the same place going different going down different tree trunks, if you will. So, so we have the first 17 verses in the book of Matthew detailing the lineage of Christ. And then we're going to jump in here and start reading to verse 18 as we talk about this idea of the name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And as we talk about Emmanuel, I want you to think about something. There's 2,600 names in the Bible. 2,600 names in the Bible. And uh, they have significance, so in Bible times, many times when they would name a child something, it had significance. Eve, 
right? We think of Eve as the mother of all living. And, and that's pretty much what her name actually means. It means life giver. You have Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish nation, right? His name means father of many. So you have, you have, these, you have significance to many names in the Bible. I don't know if your name is that way. Like the way that we name people today is, oh, that's a cute name, right? Or, you know, let's name him after so-and-so, you know, some, somebody up your family tree somewhere. Or, or maybe we just, it was a, you know, we went down the list of popular names and that's the one that we chose. Or maybe there is some significance to the name that you gave your child or the name that you were named. And isn't it interesting, all of that? And it's, it's kind of a whole study in and of itself, but in biblical times, the names were significant, almost prophetic. Like they would name a child something, and then sure enough, that kid would end up becoming something very much like what his name meant. It's amazing. And we're going to get into that here a little bit with this name, Emmanuel. So, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother, Mary, was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. And while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now if I was to write the script... For the coming of God to earth, it would be full of majesty and prominence and royalty. It would be a big deal. Everybody would know about this event if I were to write the script for this. But instead, (laughs) bear with me a little bit here. Maybe this is kind of what the conversation went like in heaven. All right, Jesus, here's what we're going to do. We're going to select a young woman named Mary. You're going to like her. She's pure in every way. She saved herself for her husband. She's just a great girl. She's going to make a great mom. And then your stepdad, his name's going to be Joseph. He's a really, really good man. You're going, to be learn, you're going to be able to learn some things from him. You're going to have a very humble birth. You're going to have to be born of Mary and start off as a little baby. You'll still be all God, but you're going to be man at the same time. And your birth is going to be in a stable like with animals. It's going to be a very common birth. You're not going to be rich and powerful. You're going to be very ordinary. You're going to take your stepfather's practice and and do very good at it. 
we call Joseph a carpenter, but that, that's a really loosely interpreted word. He was a builder, so it probably would have been more than carpentry. It would have been masonry and everything else like that. There was probably a lot of houses that he and his father actually built. You're not going to make much money doing that, but you're going to help a lot of people. You're going to start your actual ministry at the age of 30. Your first miracle is going to be at a wedding. You're going to, you're going to turn water into wine. And they're going to debate for thousands of years whether or not that was actual wine or grape juice. It's a great miracle to start off with. You're going to heal people. You're going to raise people from the dead. You're going to feed thousands. And they're still going to hate you. You're going to do all of this goodness. And they'll still turn on you because you're going to mess up their lives that they have all planned out. You're going you're to mess up the religious system that they have created. You're going to have 12 friends called the disciples, and they're going to be very important to you. You should love them well and teach them what you know so they can carry on this faith, this thing called Christianity after you're gone. And then we have to talk about the cross. Worse than you can imagine. They'll beat you until you don't look like a human anymore. You're going to hurt in every way imaginable. And you will die. You won't stay dead, but you will die. And then when you leave, you're going to leave the Holy Spirit with them to encourage them, to comfort them, to guide them, to fill them with power. And that's what all this looks like. And so the name Emmanuel literally means God with us. So I don't know what the conversation looked like in heaven. That's just all my take on it. Like, I don't know what all God did and, the, and who made the decisions, if it, was, if, if it was a joint thing or if God the Father did it and Jesus, Jesus did what he felt like he needed to do, whether they made the plans together. All of that was decided before the creation of the world because of his love for us. And all of this happens and all of that that we read about today was decided a long time ago. And this word Emmanuel only appears three times in the Bible, only once in the New Testament here in the book of Matthew. And so think about this term, God with us. You have God, right? Holy God, righteous God, sinless God. And then you have us, sinful, astray, filthy. And then you have this word with, which means together, Or in the presence of. God with, together, in the presence of us. That's an an amazing thing. God with us. It's called the incarnation. And this is a big deal. The incarnation, when literally what happened, God became flesh. The incarnation is that moment that Jesus, who pre-existed, like he was already God, took on a human body 
and human nature and was made flesh. He was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. You're like, I don't understand that. That's why you're who you are and God is who he is. It's okay that we can't figure God out. Please understand that. Aren't you glad that you serve a God that you don't understand sometimes? Because if you could understand everything he would do and everything he thought and everything he did, then maybe he would not be who God is. So that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. That's called the incarnation. But it's just like God's personality. When he created this world and he created Adam and Eve, the Bible tells us that in the evening, God would walk with them. Like God was with them. And then they sinned in the garden. And God has to be separated from sin because he's a holy God. And they came up with a way, God came up with a way that they could temporarily cover the sin. With the blood of animals. And then Jesus Christ became the perfect lamb of God. And he washed away their sin. But God was with us, right? That was, that was the incarnation. So he was with them in the garden. He walked with them in the garden. He was with them on earth during the lifetime of Jesus Christ. And then when he went back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell among us, to dwell in us. God with us is who Jesus is. It's who God is. John chapter 1, another one of the gospel writers, he says this. He says, in the beginning was the word, and it's a, capitalized because it's talking about deity. So he's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So Jesus existed in the beginning. And then he goes down to verse 14 and he says this, and the word, capital W, was made flesh, that's the incarnation, and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This incarnation is a big deal. And Jesus Christ stepped into a humble, lowly setting. And that's why I truly believe that whatever mess you're living in, Jesus wants to step into that. Because the mess that is your life, whether you made it, whether somebody else made it, whatever, it, whatever your life looks like, whatever that is, Jesus Christ stepping into that looks a lot more like the humble, stable birth that he was born into 2,000 years ago than what our department stores try and look like today and the glitz and glamour of Christmas. So if you don't have a perfect life, welcome. Welcome. Like, you know what that stable was full of, right? (laughs) Just like your life. And if Jesus Christ was willing to step into that stable, he's willing to step into your life the way it is right now. Thank God. So what are some of the implications of the incarnation? And please, this is not an exhaustive list. These were things, three things that I jotted down three weeks ago. But here's a few implications of this incarnation. The first thing is that Jesus is on your side. You get that, right? Like he is, he's a fan. Now he doesn't like all the stuff going on in your life, but he loves you. He is on your side. He's not some distant God. 
throwing out thunderbolts against people he doesn't agree with. He's not, he's not like whack-a-mole with a hammer trying to, trying to nail you every time you try to do something. And he's not, he's not there trying to find all the stuff that's wrong with you because he already knows. Now, I believe we ought to walk circumspectly. I believe that we ought to live well. We have been redeemed. We have the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, which then helps us live a life that would honor God. I believe that ought to be the desire of every Christian. But if you feel like right now you're on the opposite side of the Lord and you're like, man, my life doesn't line up, welcome to the club. I can promise you this. I'm not the best Christian in this room today. And neither are you, unless you happen to be that one person who is the best. Because there can only be one best, right? The rest of us just get participation trophies. But Jesus is on your side. I love this, that Jesus is not only with us, but he is for us. You understand, like a dad rooting for his kid at a game. He is for us. He wants you to do well. He wants you to make it in life. Now, he may not have the same goals that you have. Like you're thinking, well, I need to get this job. I need to make this much money. I need to get this kind of house. I need to meet this kind of person. Those may not be the same goals God has for you, but he wants you to live well, and he wants you to live a fulfilled life. John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I am for you. I died to save you. I'm on your side. That's what the incarnation means. Not only is Jesus on our side, but I love this so much that Jesus understands us. We all got issues We've all got stuff that we're working on. We've all got things that we wish were better about ourselves. And let me tell you, it torments your pastor just as much as it torments you. Like there's stuff that goes on that I wish wasn't who I was, but it's who I am. And I've been working on it for years. We've all got stuff that we're working on. And Jesus understands that. And what I love is that he's forgiven that. And he's paid for that. But he understands how we are feeling and what we are going through. How insane is it that God would put on flesh and step out of the most privileged place imaginable to live here on earth, to experience what we experience, to feel how we feel. Now, I believe this. He was God before he came, and so I think he knew anyway. But I think it's important to us that we know that he knows because he was who we are. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, We don't have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. The idea here is that that he was tempted in every possible way that we are tempted, but he never sinned. Why? Because he was the sinless lamb of God, which came to take away the sins of the world. But he understands how we feel. God with us. He came to us because we could not come to him. He understands. So not only is he for us, not only does he understand us, but Jesus cares for us. And this is what blows me away. This is not simply a transaction for him. 
This isn't a competition to see how many people he can get into heaven. He loves us deeply. He cares for us. He was willing to step out of heaven into our mess. And I love this so much. Jesus didn't shout his love to us. He showed his love to us. And let me just tell you this. There should be no such thing as an arrogant Christian. We're really good at telling people how they ought to live. We are really good at correcting people's behaviors. But that's not our role. If anybody could have, it was Jesus Christ. But instead of just shouting his love to us from a distance, he showed his love to us. And I think that's the model that we should follow. So he stepped in to our messiness. We read earlier in verse 23 that this Emmanuel was going to be God with us. And at the end of the book of Matthew, I just think it's beautiful how God ties a bow on this book. Right? Beginning of the book of Matthew, God with us, Emmanuel. At the end of the book, it says this. In verse 20 of chapter 28 in the same book, it says, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. I love this. That with his departure, it didn't mean that he wasn't going to be with us anymore. That he was sending his Holy Spirit. So we may not know where life is headed. We may not know where your life is going. We may not know why what is happening to you has happened to you. And I may not even know what your situation is. But I do know this. That we can know where God is in the middle of all of this. We, listen, I don't know why that's happening to you. I don't know what it is. I know some of your stories. And God knows I pray for you. My heart goes out to you. I don't think I could bear what you have gone through. And I don't know those answers for you, but I know this, that God is with you. I know where God is in all of this, and that's with you. But I know this too, that God can be right there with you and you not even recognize it. I believe God can be right in your life, right in the middle of your circumstances, right there along with you, and you still feel totally alone. And why is that? It's not because he doesn't want to reveal himself to you. It's because we don't recognize that he's there. Some people say I have selective hearing. I don't believe it. I think God just tells me what I should, what I should hear and what I shouldn't hear. All right, that's like a, that's like a total lie, all right? I mean, I just got nothing there. I got nothing. But isn't it something like I can be focused on something and Melissa be three feet away from me and tell me something and I not hear it? That happened one time in my life. And it's like she brings it up all the time. But that's, that's selective hearing. Like we can be so focused. Have you ever seen a kid? Okay, we have this picture. I should have brought it for you. Of, of my granddaughter Vera is sitting on my lap and we're watching, what's the, uh, the princess one that she likes to watch? Sophia. We're watching Sophia the first and she's on my lap and she's like this. <laughs> but here's what's funny. 
Papa's like this. <laughs> Sitting right behind her. And like it's this profile shot of both of us going. That's Sophia the first. Like the whole rest of the room was shut off. Like we didn't hear nothing, right? We're just focused on whether or not Sophia is going to be able to ride her unicorn horse around the castle and beat the bad guys, right? So that's what we're focused on. That's, that's kind of how it is sometimes in our life. Like we don't really understand how close God is with us in our issues because we are the one that don't recognize that he's right there. And we can, God can be in us and with us and for us and understand us and care for us and we completely ignore it and feel alone, not because he's not there, but because we don't recognize his presence. God is with us. Now, one of two situations this morning you're in, two buckets. The first bucket is the people who have never initiated a relationship with Jesus Christ. Like he died for the sins of the whole world. First John, I mean, John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that's pretty much everybody, for whosoever believes in him should have everlasting life, right? That's the option. But that's your decision. It's like all these gifts up here. Like you incredibly generous people have purchased all of these gifts and they can be sitting underneath the kid's tree. But unless that kid decides to open the gift, it's not his. So this is the whosoever, right? But it's still up to you to decide to receive the gift of salvation. So that's one bucket. That's like you're one of two situations. You, you, you. That, that may be you, like you haven't done that yet. You haven't begun this relationship with Jesus Christ. A, B, C, admit, believe, and confess. What it is is I admit that I need Jesus. I'm a sinner. And I believe that he came to this earth and he died for my sins and he paid for my sins. And then I confess him, I pray, and I receive him as my savior. That's on you. That's your decision. All the work has already been done for you. And he may be around you, and he may understand you, and he may be on your side, and you have never accepted the gift of salvation. But maybe you have. Maybe you're in this other bucket, if you will. Maybe you've accepted Christ as your Savior, and you remember that moment in your life. I was nine years old when I received Christ into my life. And that's been a couple of years now. And he's never left. But there have been moments in my life when I have felt very alone, almost abandoned. But it's not because God went anywhere. It's because I didn't recognize him. And my prayer for you is that you would receive Christ and make good on this incredible gift of salvation. And if you've done that, my prayer for you is that you would open up your heart and mind to see where God is and to allow him to minister to your heart and life and shine his light into your life and maybe show you some things that you need to get right, maybe show you what he's doing, but at the very least show you that he is with you through this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Emmanuel. Thank you for being with us. 
And I wish I had the answers for everybody. I wish I knew why, but I do know that you're here. And I pray, Father, that if there is somebody here this morning that would love to know you better, that would get taken care of today. And if there is perhaps somebody here this morning that just needs to know that you're here, help us to open up our heart and life and see you there. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.